Welcome. To what the if? Inexplicably slowed down version. Because we have special guests today who come from another. This is pretty cool, actually. It's got a nice backbeat to it. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a totally different vibe. We use a service called Zencaster. Whoa! He's <laughs> Louise. Shout out to Zencaster, as I've done before. They, by, by the way, have, they've uh, uh, they might feature us. They mentioned, so I'm only going to say good things about them mm, and exciting. things like the sound bar feature. Is you never know what's going to happen when you push it. It's, it's a feature. It's not a bug. It's a feature. Gabby Benicia is here, uh, virologist from Rockefeller University. Do they have a, um, do they call it like The Rock? Does that get confused with Rockefeller Center? Do you have a nickname for it? Dwayne Johnson. Yeah, no, we just call it like Rockefeller, which I'm sure would get confusing if we didn't already know what we were talking about. Right, right, right. Of course, Rockefeller Center, people don't call that Rockefeller. But yeah, I like that. It should be, yeah, Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Has he ever visited? Well, so there is a cardboard cutout of him um, in one lab um, because the, the PI's last name is Rock. Um, and so there is <laughs> oh, a are seriously Rock Professor yeah. Rock of Rockefeller University? Yeah. Uh-huh. Wow. And they, they did slightly defy the Rockefeller naming conventions to give him the best possible email. Oh, totally address. worth it. Yeah. 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 It's really great. Is it rock at rock? It's it's very similar to that. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to burn out the poor guy's email, but right. it's very similar to that. And it's really it's, Can you smell what the rock is teaching? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> at Rockefeller.edu. At Rockefeller. <laughs> wow. I love the rock. The rock is great. I don't know if anyone watches Ballers. I think it is. Honestly, I, I confess I've not seen the show, but I have seen the commercials. And uh, The Rock's co-star there is uh, Rob Cordry, who's actually an old friend of mine. Oh, yeah. I didn't know. Yeah. And it, yeah, he is in, I don't know whether he's proud of it, but I'm proud of the fact that he is in a number of my short, uh, made a bunch of short comedy films. I, I, I was with the UCB, uh, the Upper Citizen Brigade Theater that he was with. So I knew him way back then. Um, yeah. Genius. Genius. Two degrees removed from The Rock. That's pretty good. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's right. That's and I can cool. smell what the rock is cooking from that distance. Uh, <laughs> Matt Stanley, how are you? I am um, alive and healthy. Um, as far as I know, not carrying any virus variants that might imperil the people around me. So I'm, I'm pretty content with that. Yeah, yeah. Actually, just uh, Gabby, so a quick check in since you are a virologist, just a real quick check in on the state of things. Uh, I believe they announced, <clears throat> excuse me, in the U.S., 200 million people have been like, vaccinated or at least have gotten their first shot. Uh, I have gotten my first shot of Pfizer, and I have a number of friends who are also, we all, we consider ourselves the half-vax crew. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, 
there's some controversy, and I don't know if you can speak to this or not, but there's some controversy about whether you actually need to wear a mask after you've been vaccinated. Yeah, so here's the thing. Wear a mask. Because we don't have any method of telling people that we're vaccinated really beyond a sticker, which is not really verifiable, and no one's running around with their vaccine cards, you know, on their foreheads, just just wear a mask. You know, know that if you are, you know, inside a place with someone that is also vaccinated and you're just hanging out, you know, you can probably take it off if you're both vaccinated. Um, but at the same time, if you're out in public, it's public courtesy at this point. Just, you know, keep on trucking and wearing it, even though you might be tired of smelling your own breath. <laughs> um, so it really is. It seems like more of a social. I, I, I think that's the, it's a strange bind that Dr. Fauci and other some of the other leading leaders have found themselves in where um, they're afraid to say, it seems, that it's really a courtesy or it's, it just makes things a lot easier at this point. Or why not? We are really playing with fire here. Why, yeah, why I mean, not I just hold out for another few months? Yeah, and I think there's a lot of question marks still in the air. So vaccinated people can very, very rarely, but it does happen sometime, get a breakthrough infection, um, especially of one of the newer variants. Um, so for example, from the New England Journal of Medicine, a paper just came out recently, um, and it was out of a cohort of 419 vaccinated people, actually, funnily enough, myself included. Two people came down, two fully vaccinated people, one with Pfizer, one with Moderna, came down with uh, variants. Um, and it's, mm. so this was actually a, essentially a case study of Rockefeller, because we get tested every week. So they have, they keep track of who is vaccinated, who is unvaccinated, who is half vaccinated. Um, and they were keeping track of um, also, you know, whether or not someone came down with something in two, um, I think the first person was in their 50s, the second person was in their 60s at Rockefeller did come down with variants. They had extremely mild cases. Um, but, you know, we don't know if they're transmissible, but it's still a question mark. Most people don't get tested as often as, you know, we do. So sometimes it's easier just to treat yourself as infectious as like a courtesy to other people. Even if you think, Peshaw, it could be fine. This is really not something where you want to just assume, right? Yeah, yeah. And it is, we're talking such huge numbers here, you know, in terms of the number of people that are carrying it, the amount that it is around. Why mess with it? Um, Well, unfortunately, like India is having a really huge boom right now. so if we have any listeners in India who have the chance to get vaccinated, would highly, highly encourage it. Even if you got stuck already. And so speaking of huge, <laughs> this week was inspired by our own uh, Gabby V. How does she pronounce her last name? Gabby. Uh, I do not know. We really, she's just, she's always been Gabby V to us. Yeah. Um, and uh, she wrote in. <laughs> so she does all our research. She is our senior researcher, uh, Gabby Vardenega. And she, <laughs> it was funny. So she's the one who writes, you should go to our website, by the way, if you haven't done it before uh, or recently, uh, whattheif.com. And uh, all our recent episodes, uh, since we've had Gabby V with us, um, she's been adding some fantastic, you know, kinds of new additional materials, things you can learn, or uh, cool stuff to check out online, um, inspired by our topic. And uh, 
she took the opportunity to, I guess, while she was uh, updating the website, to write in <laughs> um, through the little contact box, which I encourage you to do as well. Uh, you can go to whattheif.com and um, right there on the front page, uh, contact us box. You just type right there and hit send. And so um, Gabby writes, uh, hi, I just watched Godzilla versus Kong this weekend. And I have two potentially interesting ifs to ask. What if Titans were real? Or what if the, what the, if the hollow earth theory was true? Um, and uh, she says, we watched it on HBO Max. It is probably also available on other sites. So shout out, you know, a free plug for Godzilla vs. Kong which is out now, but the question is, so I think we'll go with many, what the, if there's truth in the movie, that's what we'll do. And we'll, we'll, we'll swing at it. All right. What the, if, in badass slow version, it's pretty great. What the if Godzilla versus Kong the movie not to be confused with the actual events ripped from the headlines What the if there's truth in the movie Godzilla versus Kong <laughs> And uh, Gabby, what's your, um, Gabby Panicia, what is your, what's the first thing that make you very excited if it was real? It comes from um, I would totally. Oh, oh, sorry, maybe, sorry, maybe, sorry. I apologize to our listeners. Let's give just for, for those few people in the world who haven't seen what is, what is the, the deal? Yeah, I mean, so I'll say, I'll say no spoilers because I, I won't actually spoil okay. anything that no I do with the movie. Um, there are essentially giant titanic monsters, um, one of which is Godzilla, the other which is King Kong. And in the typical fashion of giant monsters, they do fight each other. There is, however, a lot of other sort of um, shenanigans, let's just say, with science as a whole in the movie. So, for example, wow. in the Godzilla universe, I guess, this, this reboot, the Earth is hollow. And that is where the monsters come from, and some of them use that to get around. Um, or for Godzilla, he uses it to get you know closer to radiation to you know fuel himself back up. And they have they they wind up showing it at one point, and it is there are some interesting properties of it that we can dive into about you know what would Earth be like if it was actually hollow, and would it actually work uh, like the movie? So basically, what I'm already hearing is it sounds like the hollow earth theory may have been inspired by the New York City subway system. Um, oh, 100%. In, in which case, you can get around by going underground. And if you need mm -hmm. to, you know, approach hazardous wastes to refuel yourself, I think, man, you'd really be yeah. refreshed yeah. very much. I mean, I will yes. say there are species unknown to science in the New York City subway systems because we have... <laughs> No, I think at one point someone did take a swab and then bulk sequence it 
And they were finding stuff in there that they like, ah, we don't know what this matches up to. I mean, granted, maybe it's just debris, um, but there is an <laughs> ecosystem down there that we have not carefully profiled. So that's wow. Um, so, uh, Matt, what, what, uh, have you seen the film? I have not. No. Um, I am, I am relying on detailed exposition from cultural critics, uh, to, to get me exactly. up to speed. Yeah. Exactly. Um, but from, from what you've heard, what, what, uh, and, and from what you know about the history, um, these clashes that Godzilla seems to get himself into all the time, um, what is your favorite thing? that you wish were real uh oh. i wish i were the guy wearing the rubber godzilla suit um so <laughs> i could stomp through the miniature city and uh crush the franchises of places i don't like <laughs> that, that does seem like the most fun yeah, yeah or kong king kong also likewise um so uh real quick uh do or unless it's a spoiler it's not clear to me who should we be rooting for. The the trailer, and this definitely is not a spoiler because I've seen the trailer. This current movie very much makes it look like Kong is our hero. I wasn't clear, however, if this is some sort of weird nationalist thing, which I would be surprised of, frankly. Um, but it seems like the Ameri it's American scientists or somebody goes and they wake up Kong so he can defend us from Godzilla. Is that correct? Is that the gist? Yeah, okay. that kind of holds. But there's a bit of a mystery of why Godzilla's kind of off the rails a bit. Because normally he's a pretty good dude. Mm -hmm. Occasionally he gets yeah. worked up and occasionally stomps some, some wrong things. But generally he's regarded as a, as a pretty good monster. Yeah, that's the interesting thing. One, one of many interesting things about this, uh, these monster movies is that the monsters are, the movies are overtly sympathetic to the monsters. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's right. And that's an, actually an important inflection point in the history of Godzilla movies is that, you know, the original Godzilla, um, Godzilla is this monster um, animated by reckless nuclear experimentation and he comes in and destroys things and humans are helpless before him. And then in later movies, he gradually morphs into a, a heroic figure um, and uh, protects Japan against other monsters actually oh, so depending right. on which godzilla movie you're watching you'll get a very different flavor um of what kind of radioactive critter he is right well, even, is even though the idea that he was he is essentially created or made into the monster that he is by nuclear waste or something is a, a statement of sympathy in a way you know, it's obvious. Yeah, I mean, God, Godzilla's originally a, a pretty thinly veiled metaphor for uh, the American nuclear bombing of Japan, right? Unleashed nuclear power that destroys uh, Japanese cities, right? Um, so not just not like you know, not just nuclear fuel things like that, but actually the the weapon. Yeah, yeah that's, that's the real deal, right? right. The, the, the Japanese have experienced nuclear warfare. Uh, in a way that no other civilization has, right? So they have particular feelings about it, um, and then and then interestingly, they they reclaim that, right? And then Godzilla becomes a hero later. So that's an important kind of transition. Yeah, interesting. Oh, sorry, you were going to say, Gabby? No, basically just going to agree. Yeah, that's got it right. And so, 
Godzilla now. Okay, so here's what's interesting: is the two we've got a just like the movies, uh, we have two monsters. We have two ifs here. Uh, one is that the Earth is um, hollow, and the other is that the monsters are actually people in rubber suit. Um, so Matt, are you? And actually, is Matt? Matt is Godzilla. Well, I will say, so they didn't do people in rubber suits for this one. Right. <laughs> That's right. That's true. That's not from the movie. That's from Matt's, Matt's personal. That's just my personal fantasies, yeah. Well, that is that is historically correct. The previous, like, yeah. older Godzilla movies was dude in suit. Um, Although, to be fair, it wasn't, that wasn't the story. See, that, <laughs> that would be a heck of a you know, that, that would be the story of Bigfoot, I think. Um, so, uh, so Matt, would you say it's it's the the monsters themselves are real? I think that that would be the obvious. Uh, uh, yes, the, I think that's right. There are actually these these giant critters um, climbing out of the ocean, and I should say the the term for the the class of critters that involves Godzilla is called kaiju. Um, so it's uh, uh, so yeah, Godzilla, Mothra, all of those folks are are kaiju. Um, I don't know if Kong would count as kaiju or not. He's an American creation, right? Uh, yeah, that's right. yeah. Because mm-hmm. everything that's featured him, I, I know, is more of like a crossover. And if I st- decide to stick with my like Godzilla Puritan guns, uh, it's yeah, it's just like an American version, I guess. Yeah. Well, I must say, as a as a uh, aficionado of cinema, I consider myself a little bit. Um, King Kong is one of the greatest and most important movies um, uh, of our time in terms of evolution of film. Uh, Oh, yeah, absolutely incredible for that time. Um, You know, that a movie could be that. First of all, the special effects were totally revolutionary at the time, Mm -hmm. right? It's a lot of stop motion stuff, a lot of superimpositions and things like that. Uh, But also just that the movie was so thrilling. I mean, I don't think, you know, you think about it at that time. People were certainly thrilled by movies, but just, you know, again, this is a movie that was astounding to people. So it is a real classic. Um, and I think, too, you would say the sympathy for the monster. and um, The uh, Empire State Building was new at the time. And so, you know, just the... Right. It's a really fascinating time capsule of things and yet remains a classic i think if you do watch it, look it's old-fashioned you know it's got all that to it but it's really for the kind whatever you call that uh genre um it's a classic it's a classic um so uh, and by the way the 1970s version was uh <laughs> is quite interesting as well uh kong astrides puts one foot on each of the twin towers Oh, is that right? Right. Jessica Lang is in that, I remember. Um, And if I recall the making of the movie that they used an enormous styrofoam Kong, and at the end, spoiler alert, shot down. Uh, And he crashes to the ground. And if I remember correctly, in the making of this movie, it's just all this styrofoam just went everywhere. It's just a complete (laughs) disaster. All over downtown. Um, so, uh, but here, Gabby, I, I'm most 
curious biologically in terms of these monsters. Is such a thing uh, that you could have a creature so big? I would say probably, Forget the breathing fire part. We get to that in a bit. Yeah, you know, yeah. I, would, I would say probably not. Um, but there are some sort of interesting things that I guess might actually hold up. So, for example, Godzilla seems to be... Uh, Christ, what is it called? A radiooxotroph? Is that? Essentially, he's... <laughs> radiooxotroph. I don't know if that's actually the, the right term. Um, essentially, he is pulling energy from radiation. However, that is, there is actually precedent from that because there is a fungus that grows now in Chernobyl, yeah. um, which is capable of using radiation for fuel. And that's how it grows. So these things are possible. Life is extremely weird and flexible. And so a giant lizard creature that never really seems to eat uh, using radiation to fuel itself is, yeah, that tracks. There might be something there in that regard. Yeah, and so, and Matt, you are intimately familiar with radiation. In fact, I think that from what I know a little bit about your past career uh, at one point, you, there was a point where you may have actually turned into a nuclear-powered monster. Um, I did, in fact, sit on um, some radioactive waste for a, a period of time. Um, accidentally, I should say. I wasn't trying to give myself superpowers. Um, <laughs> you wouldn't and, have been the uh, first. <laughs> but I should say, you know, some years later, um, uh, my wife gave birth to identical twins, and they have some unusual powers. So then maybe uh, <laughs> the connections there. Yeah, yeah. And by the way, for, to get to get some hints of their superpowers, I highly encourage you to go back. To, we have two episodes with them. What they have dot com. Look up twin. Search for twins. Um, but what does that mean? So for for a creature to to feed off radiation doesn't sound that odd to me in the sense that my image of the way life works is it only need, like one of the more recent discoveries uh, was for instance that life may have actually begun at the bottom of the ocean where they don't get sunlight but there are volcanic or you know vents black smokers they call them right um, and, and there are lots of little creatures there because they just feed off the heat. And I suppose some of the minerals or... I think they're chemosynthetic. They, they use essentially chemical reactions with um, the specific, just very reactive compounds in the water that make us trying to live there impossible. Um, but they've adapted and can use uh, those substances to generate energy. Gabby, is it true that to feed off something, you literally have to eat it? We, we do anyway, right? Or do we, we need some warmth from the sun, but we don't get nutrition? Yeah, no, we, we don't get really anything from the sun. We're not plants. So what plants have is chlorophyll. And I'm trying to see if I can remember exactly how chlorophyll works, but it essentially harnesses a photon um, that gets trapped. And then the energy of that photon is used to, I think, create um, through a series of processes that's not directly... Um, to tack an extra phosphate probably on an ATP. And so a lot of, all of our energy is stored as chemical bonds. And so commonly one of the ways that this energy is stored is three phosphates uh, essentially attacked together with a nucleotide at the end. And so you shave off one phosphate, you break a little thing off the end, and then that releases a bunch of energy and that energy is used to fuel other reactions. So it's a small kind of decomposable molecule that can be easily reconstructed. And so the energy from the sun is used to reconstruct it. 
Um, so the endless cycle of the cell uses a little bit of it, then it gets you know rebuilt by the sun, and then the cell uses it again. Yeah. So they actually so so plants are actually literally feeding off the sun. Yes, that's right. Yeah. So, so are they lots- feeding off radiation? Well, in the very broad sense of radiation, um, we mean something like um, uh, when we say radiation, we mean alpha, beta, gamma rays um, being released by radioactive decay. Um, but radiation, but light is technically a form of radiation. But that's not what we mean when we're talking about kaiju. So, actually, one thing I, you know, in the way, one of my favorite things about these ifs is the way they, if you take it literally. Uh, and make it a thing in the world, you know, okay, if it's in the world. So if feeding off radiation is a thing, immediately I can imagine something actually that deviates, sounds like, from this story, but that around Chernobyl, instead of the horrific death zone, in, in the world where, you know, normal, like, mammals or reptiles can, uh, because he's a reptile, right? Reptiles can feed off radiation, then at the very least, Chernobyl would suddenly be a flourishing reptile zone. Uh, At the very least, Godzilla would probably want to take a nap there. But I will say what's interesting is is the, the movies seem to imply that there is something specific to the radiation to the, the more recent reboot, at least, there is something specific to the radiation put off by you know Godzilla and other kaiju, where after they leave, the plants and stuff surge back, um, so that you know wherever they go, that the nature is healing behind them, um, because they are specifically supposed to be forces of nature, of in some way balanced that are each activated by us doing something wrong to nature, um, and so. Maybe yeah, like our Chernobyl, because it wasn't their radiation, would you know still be messed up. But if Godzilla decided to come there, take a nap, uh, you know, right next to the elephant's foot, with all of the uh, crazy radiation stuff, when he left, it actually might be cleaner, and you know, you'd get a flourishing of growth and animals and stuff. Right. So like he absorb basically he's absorbing all the the radiation, but to such a degree. So Matt, tell us about how does this work with. Uh, uh, half life and things like that. Would, how long would Godzilla actually have to be there? What? How does? How's that going to work? How's? How's he going to? Basically, he goes there and mm-hmm. and basically absorbs all the radioactive radioactivity in the radioactive material. Yeah. So different radioactive materials um, emit radiation and energy at different speeds, um, and that's measured by the the half life. Um, which is the amount of time it takes for half of the material to decay. Um, and the the relationship to that and energy release is pretty straightforward. So the shorter the half-life, the more energy it gives off. Um, and the longer the half-life, the less energy it gives off. Um, so they're basically kind of inverses of each other. So um, a radioactive material with a short half-life, we would you'd think of as being really radioactive. So it would be dangerous for you to handle. Um, uh, it would probably be hot to the touch. Um, and then very long half-life stuff um, is, uh, is no big deal. Um, it doesn't give off radiation quickly enough 
um, for it to have been dangerous. So for instance, um, uh, uranium uh, has a relatively long half-life. So um, it's, it's not particularly warm to the touch. Um, uh, you can handle it more or less safely. Uh, as opposed to radium, which gives off so much energy so quick um, that it glows. Um, So that's a a sign of how short the half-life is. So the the trade-off here is that um, short half-life isotopes um, give you lots of energy, but are also dangerous. Um, assuming that Godzilla can metabolize this energy in some way, he would want um, short half-life stuff, um, which is often released by nuclear explosions. So hanging out in, um, say, nuclear test zones would be a good idea because there's lots of, like, cesium-137 hanging around. Or if you wanted to keep Godzilla as a pet or in a zoo, you would feed him with nuclear bomb. Uh, well, the the byproducts of nuclear bombs, um, what we think of as nuclear waste. So you could also probably use the um, uh, the waste released by nuclear reactors as well. Um, so were I designing a zoo for Godzilla, um, I would power it with a nuclear reactor and just put the reactor right under Godzilla's pen. Um, so he could go curl up with the fuel rods uh, whenever he was tired. Right. And in fact, Godzilla would be a solution. How does this not happen in the movie? It seems to be Godzilla is a solution to nuclear waste problem, right? Just give it yeah, to Godzilla. That's right. I should say nuclear waste as a, as a concept is, um, is a political problem, not a technical one. Um, the stuff produced by nuclear reactors that we call nuclear waste is just more nuclear fuel, um, but we have to reprocess it. There's chemical work you have to do to it, um, and then you can and then you recycle that uh, material um, and run it through the nuclear reactor again. Um, so, but it's a political choice to not do that. Um, well, it's also uh, where, an anti. You know, it's whatever political party Godzilla is a member of. This is against that party because you could just give it to Godzilla. Uh, yes, that's right. So the anti-Godzilla party um, is looking to pick up seats in <laughs> yeah. the Japanese parliament in the next yeah. election. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's a reason. That's a debate that you know honest people can have. Should we have a gigantic nuclear enraged monster? Um, yeah, that's. Uh, I think that's fine, and that's the sign of a healthy democracy. Um, is whether or not you can really talk about um, your radioactive monsters. That's right. You know, that's true. That's, that's quite good, actually. Um, and from what I can, t- again, I tell from the trailer, it looks like Kong, to give some, give some airtime to King Kong, is the king of all, uh, after all. Um, part of the issue is that he's kind of, He's good when he's good, but he's thinking more of himself, and therefore we don't know. He could be dangerous for us, too. Is that correct, Gabby? His well, motives are unknown. I honestly don't know as much about King Kong. I'm a Godzilla stand at the end. So, <laughs> <laughs> right only here for the giant radioactive lizard. And my right. biggest complaint about the movie was that there wasn't enough Godzilla. So, I'm a little biased. Uh, all right. So, oh, interesting. Okay. So, what does King Kong eat? Banana? He would have to have so many bananas. You see well, me. 
in so, the like, tradition, if I remember right, in the original movie, as the um, explorers are going to um, find his lair, they find bones and stuff out front, right? So I think it's implied that he's eating, I don't know, mastodons or something. It's been a while since I've right. Actually, it. there were, yeah, I don't know if it's in the original, original movie, but I know that part of the story, even in the early days, was that there were other giant creatures that he ate. So he ate giant okay. yeah, saber-toothed tigers. Basically, it was this land, this island, skull island, that giant creatures evolved onto or were there for him to eat. There's, there's both. Godzilla has Monster Island. Staten Island. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I could imagine Godzilla would enjoy Staten Island. Um so uh the Hollow Earth. Let's yes. go to Hollow Earth then. Oh my god. Uh, tell us about that, Gabby. What what can so, you reveal about your explorations? Yeah. Is inside the earth. Somehow in order to access it, it is not exactly the same as just tunneling there. There are some natural tunnels, it seems like, but the phenomenon that seems to happen to them is they sort of get wormholed a bit when they go through them. Um, they describe something as being like shot a thousand miles in two seconds, which is bizarre. I don't know why that would happen, but they do seem to be particularly wormholy. It doesn't take them several days to reach through there into the hollow earth. Uh, inside in Hollow Earth, it is essentially, um, you have, you know, mountains above and below. Uh, it is like two lands exactly like 180 degrees from each other. Um, and in the middle is open air, but also some gravitational inflection point at which if you leapt up into the air, and if you leapt hard enough, you'd go to the other side. If you didn't leap hard enough, you'd come down to the same side that you were on before. Yeah. Oh, so, so yeah, how hollow, I was imagining it some sort of, like it is like underground, you go underground and you're hollow to the extent, well, there's just tunnels everywhere. But you're saying, is, is it literally hollow? Like there's no core, it's just an open well, it's sphere? Weird, because if you look at it, it looks like it's not big enough exactly for it to be the whole earth, the whole center mm. of the earth. But I guess it depends how deep down they are in there. Because I'm assuming it is the entire core is hollow. It does not mean that starting a few feet below us, it's hollow. I think it means, you know, the very, very, very core, which is inherently smaller because it's got, you know, smaller diameter than the rest of the earth is hollow. Um, so yeah, I think there, I think there's no core in this one. Who knows if we still have a mantle somewhere sandwiched in between, but when they go through this, they never hit lava. So. Okay. All right. So this is, I mean, this raises important questions, uh, exactly where the hollowness is and how hollow it is. Um, because as you go down in the earth, right, pressures and temperatures increase dramatically. Um, there's uh, there's sort of a reason that there aren't big hollow spots um, inside the earth, and that's because it has the whole weight of the earth above it um, crushing down. So it's easier to imagine sort of a, a hollow layer um, maybe relatively close to the surface. You know, if you imagine, say, an onion, with one layer of the onion missing, um, that might be more plausible than having the core gone. Um, that also brings the hollow area a lot closer to the surface and maybe a little more accessible for Godzilla to, um, he breathes, he uses his radioactive breath to, to drill down to it, right? He does actually at one point in the movie. Yeah. 
which makes it, it completely messes up my ability to tell how deep it's supposed to be because they do imply that it is the very center. I mean, because there is a point at which gravity flips. So oh, assume okay. so, mm-hmm. you have all of the earth above you, the inflection point is going to be at the center. I don't know. I'm not the physicist in this jam. But no, so that's so that's a good point. point yeah. drill, which is all right. Yeah. So if if we're seeing the gravitational inflection point, then that is supposed to be the the center. Um, so actually, maybe it's worth a, a moment to to talk about how that goes, right? Um, so if we think about gravity as um, in the Newtonian sense of matter attracting other matter, then the reason that um, I am able to stay in my chair right now is that I've got the whole mass of the earth underneath me and the mass of um, all the matter in my body is being pulled towards all the matter in the earth. Um, and uh, it's, it's kind of odd thing about every individual particle in the earth is all pulling on me. But since that's all sort of on one side of me, I feel all the gravity pulling in one direction. Um, but if uh, I travel to the center of the Earth, then I have an equal amount of Earth in all directions around me, and they're all all those bits of Earth are all pulling um, at the same time, but in opposite directions. So they all cancel each other out. So there is some point at which, um, uh, the very when I'm at the very center of the Earth, I have an equal gravitational pull in all directions around me. So I feel nothing. Um, and, uh, and that would be pretty nifty, right? I'd be getting, getting this kind of floating effect. Um, and kind of the thought experiment is if you, you drill a hole all the way through the earth, um, and jump into it, then you'll, uh, you'll start accelerating right away because most of the earth is still underneath you. And then as you approach the center, you'll slow down slightly because now there's earth on all sides of you. Um, and then you'll kind of do this yo-yo thing as you hit the middle um, until you achieve equilibrium again, and then you can float in the middle. Um, so that would be a nifty that would be a nifty place to hang out, right? Yeah. Uh, and in fact, I, I'm guessing it comes. You know, this a lot of this is coming from the old Jules Verne journey to the center of the Earth, in which they journeyed to the center of the Earth and they found dinosaurs living there. It was mm-hmm. it was like the world of the era, era of the dinosaurs never ended and by the way existed inside the earth but uh this looks very similar to that visually okay. yeah 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 so what they've done is they've basically imagined um it you know they've done an interesting twist here on geology like uh in geology we do we, our understanding of geology comes from uh, generally like, digging into layers of the earth. And so as you dig down, you actually can discover right? dinosaur bones are found um, in a place where um, when they were living, that was the surface of the earth. And then uh, the water level rose and, you know, more and more layers of rock accumulated on top of them. And in each of those layers of rock, whatever was living on the surface at that point is now fossilize or it might leave fossils right within those layers you can find by the way this is one of the coolest things you can walk along trails at the uh, friend and i visited the grand canyon and it happened to be in the middle of a government shutdown which was like 
flame, but you could still visit the top of the canyon. You just couldn't go in it. So we took it. We walked a trail along the surface, you know, at the top of the Grand Canyon, and or just like you know a few feet down, in, and uh, you can walk along the edge, and you will find seashells like everywhere. You just pick up, you know, fossilized seashells just everywhere, mm-hmm. showing that not only was there a, an, an ocean uh, or a sea of some kind at the Grand Canyon, but it was that way at the top, you know, which is cool. So, which is obviously what eventually bur- burrowed it down in the Grand Canyon. So, um, uh, these, this exists. How would that change our planet? It, I, it seems to me that it sounds like in the movie, humans have have not taken advantage of this, and, and maybe that's why there it's the wormhole deal. That well, allegedly, thrown back to King of the Monsters, not Godzilla versus Kong. Some people did exist alongside them in like the Hollow Earth thing. Low key, they found Atlantis. Um, that way, so I get apparently in, in Godzilla lore, the Atlanteans mm-hmm. did live in there, and I guess part of it got sunk. Um, but it is very prehistoric in the Hollow Earth. So it is kind of a microcosm of what used to be. So it maybe like our ancestors did, you know, more caveman style. But yeah, modern humans have forgotten the that the Earth is hollow. Clearly, right now. So you're 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 a uh, scientist. Uh, biologist researcher let's say what would you do it seems to me we would set up like a at the very at the very least as soon as we discovered this we would set up a research station there oh, at yeah. the center of the earth right um so gabby what would your research station look like and what would it be like to live there and do your research oh god i'd lose my mind it would be so cool um first of all you would have so many people just genome sequencing anything they could get their hands on especially now <laughs> Because you want to try to figure out where these guys fit on the tree of life. So essentially what you're looking at is a, a branch that got buried somewhere else. So yes, you are seeing a remnant of the dinosaurs, but they've branched off a lot from dinosaurs. And so I think you'd learn really, really fascinating things about the origin of, you know, certain mechanisms, uh, you know, in my head immediately is screaming innate immunity, but that's something that I focus on. Um, so, you know, it's, it would be really interesting to just give that a look. Also, what, what, in, you know, what was that innate immunity? Oh, yeah, yeah. Essentially, there are common to all life, almost all life, especially like vertebrates, I'll say. Um, we all have certain factors which are at least tangentially similar now, but have branched a lot throughout history that defend us against viruses and pathogens. Um, and they're very generic. Everyone has them, basically. Um, but the versions that a chicken has is actually quite different than what we have because our last common ancestor was like a reptile. Um, and so if you have essentially one of those reptiles sealed in the hollow earth bottle, that would be pretty cool. Um, also, one of the things that I think is really cool is, you know, they talk consistently about, you know, kaiju have specific properties. Um, they have certain abilities. So Godzilla being extremely radioactively resistant and a radiotroph. Um, I realize the word is radiotroph, not radioxotroph. I was wrong. Um, then what you'd want to do is obviously look at what the hell he has going on because he might not be coded out of maybe the same nucleotides as we are. Um, maybe something else is going on. Uh, so, you know, whatever that biology is seems to be very, very foreign from our origin. So it, it would be extremely worth diving into the molecular bits of it 
Um, but then also you're going to have your, your normal um, ecologists trying to work out the hollow earth ecology um, and just documenting everything. Yeah. yeah and geologists. Mm -hmm. I mean, <laughs> how did this, you know, from what we understand about the cloud planets form, you know, they begin with a small grain of dust and then another grain of dust hits it and they stick together. And that just keeps going and going and going. There's no hollow <laughs> There's no way to create a ring unless something astounding happened in the middle after the entire planet was formed as a solid ball. Mm -hmm. And whatever it was that happened, happened without busting up, like it isn't something that shot out of the Earth, which would be amazing too. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I don't know. It would yeah, have to be an be evaporation quite, of some kind. This would be quite a surprise, I think, geologically speaking. Yeah. Um, it's hard to imagine what that would be like um, and how it would not, say, fill with magma um, or, uh, or just collapse on its own power. I am curious. So one of the things that I thought of immediately was part of why we have the gravity that we have is if I remember the, the, you know, the, the center of the Earth is filled with extremely dense molten I think nickel. Um, mm -hmm. But if we are getting essentially to the same gravity with now less density in the Earth, would the rest of the crust now, would our estimation change? Would it have to be, you know, a much higher percentage of lead or something this so that would, we are? Yeah, this would be a, a real problem um, because, uh, as you say, the, the gravity we feel here on the surface is due to the stuff that's underneath us. Um, and if there's a big hollow region um, underneath your feet, then you will actually feel less gravity. And you can, this, this is used actually to survey for oil deposits, amongst other things, um, is as you walk along the surface of the earth, you use a gravitometer, a tool for measuring fine changes in gravity. Um, and when you see that uh, it changes suddenly, that suggests that there's a, a place of different density under your feet. Um, and then that's a good place to look for um, uh, for oil or ores or whatnot. So we actually have, you can actually look at gravity maps of the earth. So if there, um, if there were big hollow areas under our feet, we could actually um, find them even, even without digging for them just by, by searching for gravity. Um, if we do have the same gravity here at the surface um, that we do at the moment, um, Gabby, as you say, we're going to have to change the composition of the, very, uh, of the, the inner layers of the earth to, to compensate for that. Um, and I think that's totally doable. I'm happy to swap out nickel for something a little heavier. Um, the problem, though, there's, there's an associated problem, uh, which is that the material of the Earth's core also gives us our magnetic field. So if we, if we mess with the nickel-iron mix, we may not have a magnetic field anymore. Um, and that has some unfortunate consequences as well, um, depending on how you feel about death. <laughs> Unless we fed fed the dinosaurs that are living at the center of the Earth a more iron rich diet, uh, uh, yeah, I don't want to. I don't want to be responsible for feeding the dinosaurs anything. <laughs> um, not I, only that, I, talk about mag. Yeah, they, they you, you couldn't count on them to sit still. The exactly, not enough with my cats, but I'm not. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, thank you. This is this as always. These are amazing explorations, and and a thank you to the writers and. A long history, generations of writers and uh, myth makers uh, who created these stories. And what's fun to see is I'd be interested to find out who the science consultant, if, if they had a science consultant on this movie, because uh, I've, I'm going to ask, I have some friends out in L.A. who are, you know, legit 
scientists, um, but who also work as uh, science consultants to the movie industry. Um, and it'd be interesting to find out if some of these weird things were like a way of just getting, like maybe they did the wormhole thing where somehow they're able to just jump over, jump deep to avoid, you know, to come up with some reason why this hollowness is just very far from us and isn't as big a problem. No, no, maybe that's a quite relatively small area that's hollowed out. Right, and not not like mm-hmm. the entire planet or something like that. Uh, although, for it, you can say from the gravity flipping thing, you could probably put a limit on how what the diameter is of that space. Right, it would have to be quite huge to see the gravity change dramatically like that. It would be a cool thing to see. Yeah, yeah, it'd be very cool, very cool. So, shout out to Godzilla, shout out to Kong. Uh, another big question left unknown. You know, we're did they come here as aliens um or was there a second genesis of some kind you know um there are alien kaiju but they are not one yeah okay good to know all right well i'm glad we could put that to rest i feel safe already (laughs) um so if you've seen this movie by the way tell us what you think um and uh, or other movies just tell us you know what do you think are are there other movies that inspired your imagination i will say this that i do i love this idea of us being able to you know, this game of taking it seriously a little bit and then looking at all the wacky things that come out. I, I am actually genuinely intrigued now to imagine uh, hollow earth where our to- all our, you know, modern technology and like it literally exists in our world because things we could be doing down there would be uh, incredible. And it would tell us so much about, we'd have to rethink our understanding of the solar system and everything else we know. You know, mm-hmm. all our all our NASA um, and other space agencies, all our orbiting um, satellites around other planets, they all measure the gravity. In fact, one way we have of understanding what those planets are made of, or at least, um, comes from the fact that they sense differences in gravity as they go around, which means differences in mass in the planets below them, which is one of the reasons why we may we believe there may be an ocean, uh, perhaps even a salty. Uh, saltwater ocean in uh, the moon of Jupiter, Europa, and we are sending a ship there. So good stuff. Good stuff. Thank you all. Uh, send us your ideas, just like Gabby V did. Gabby, also, we will be adding all I can't wait to see the additional materials she puts out there. Uh-uh, she puts on the website. Um, so shout out to our senior researcher, Gabby Vardineka. And um, uh, Gabby has also been heating up Twitter and Instagram and things like that, uh, as well as getting Panicia stuff there. So things are happening there. Uh, what the If Show on Instagram, What the If Show on Twitter, and on Facebook, just What the If and What the If.com. All that good stuff. Matt, anything you want to plug? Uh, no, not at the moment. Um, All right. But I should say um, coming up, I don't know, soon I'm going to start doing some online lectures with One Day University. Oh. Um, so, uh, uh, I'll let you know when that appears. Fantastic. Ooh, that sounds fun. Mm-hmm. Um, Gabby, anything you would like? Uh, nothing beyond my everlasting love for Godzilla. That's it. <laughs> oh, right on. Right on. A bond. A bond with yeah, Godzilla. Deep, deep bond from childhood. I understand. I understand. Um, and I, you know, I have a deep love for calm. So I think maybe I need to see this and then we need to talk you know about yeah. this godzilla versus kong thing because yeah i've always 
Yeah, thanks for calling. Um, so thank you all for listening. Subscribe if you haven't. Right there on the podcast player you're listening to right now. By the way, we are blowing up on Spotify. You know, Spotify has uh, been promoting podcasts more and more. Um, so if you're on Spotify, look for us. And, and you're not listening to us there right now, uh, check it out. Apple Podcasts, of course, we're also there. Um, there. There's also some new services coming along that give us random statistics. And I guess it takes some time to slowly build their databases. So I do know that we are big in Peru. So oh. shout out to Peru if you're listening to us in Peru. Um, uh, that's wonderful. And a couple of other countries, how that works and why, why it's those particular countries it's telling us about. But uh, it sounds good. So shout out to all of you all around the world and uh, whatever your native mascot protecting Titan is, uh, is great. And um, I just want to put one, out, one suggestion out there for anyone's interested in writing a movie. I would like to see... Godzilla versus Titanic, the ship. <laughs> See, I think hmm. that right. Talk about Clash of the Titans, Clash of the mm-hmm. Titans. Yeah, yeah. Gonna bring back the old White Star versus Cunard conflict. Yeah, cool. not, yeah. That's a story people don't tell as often. Um, and actually, you know what? The Titanic would be nuclear powered. Of course, you got to ramp it up. Yeah, reboot. a lot of a, a lot of fire, a lot of fire. Send us your ideas, feedback at whattheif.com. and um, Gabby and Matt. Um, the ifs, the ifs that are coming our way are kind of like kaiju of their own. I think there's there's an infinite number of them, and we have no idea which one is going to be attacking us and breathing its unholy fire on us um or yeah i imagine king kong just it's just his breath you know that's that's his his breathing thing um how do you feel about when you imagine all these monsters out there with gifts oh they're all suggesting ideas for us. <laughs> <laughs> how does that make you feel uh well i think we would have a um a particular reaction we might uh scream in horror <laughs> what? 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 Uh, it slow death by earth. Go calm.